0: curfew. I was 21 years of age, about to get married, and during the week I was supposed to be home by 9. Yeah, yeah. Weekends 10. And if it was a little later, I could call if I was with friends. But as, hey, this is how it goes. That's how I was raised. I was subject to their rules. And th- that compares really nicely to what we're going to be talking about today in Galatians. He's, Paul's writing this letter to Christians in Asia Minor, they had been misguided to think that their salvation depended upon believing on Jesus, but also keeping the law, being circumcised, keeping the feasts. Um, Most of them had not been raised under law, but they had been duped into thinking that they were righteous before God based upon their performance, the things that they did and the things they avoided. And they had, in doing so, veered completely away from the truth of the gospel, that salvation is through faith in jesus alone and paul whom they once received and the message they received from him after a while because of their learning and the the preachers that would come through they began to their view of the truth changed and their view of paul changed where he was a small misguided man who had you know what he said was right but it wasn't the whole truth there was more to it than what he said and then paul called them out (coughs) Like a parent who sees their kid entering into a codependent and unhealthy relationship, he says, are you so foolish that having begun in the Spirit of God, you can now be made perfect through the flesh, through what you do? You had to trust in Jesus to be saved, but now you think it's based upon your performance that God accepts you? He lovingly reached out to them. It was kind of like that church in Galatia or those churches in Galatia. It was like the teen who's becoming increasingly independent and dismissive of their parents and their views and almost as hardened towards them. And Paul, he continues to reach out. The issue was not their departure from him or their feelings toward him, but their departure from Jesus. And he says in returning to the law, that's what you're doing. You're walking away from Jesus. So in the previous chapter, Paul, he emphasized that Jesus has redeemed believers from the curse and redeemed them for the promise of Abraham, that blessing, receiving the Holy Spirit by faith, that were made righteous by faith alone. The blessing of Abraham, it came by faith, not by the law. Law was given for a purpose. It restrained sin. It set guidelines the people needed, and it showed their, their sin and need for salvation, their need for forgiveness. It was like a governess while under there, they were placed under that authority until Jesus came, the one who fulfilled the law. So he ushered in a new condition that we are righteous through faith. It was always by faith that faith preceded law as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him of righteousness. So we're no longer under the tutor anymore. We no longer have that governess of law. We now have Christ for he has come and he sent the spirit to fill us Redeeming us by faith. Galatians 4 verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. As we discussed, children in well-to-do homes, they would have a steward or a slave who was in charge of them from their infancy through their childhood. And they were responsible for washing them, feeding them, educating them, taking them to school. And this child, he might be a prince. He might be the son of a king. Or this, this girl could be a princess where she will have a, a, she's a, she's nobility. But as a child, she is just like the other children. She has to learn. Learn how to behave and how to obey and just these simple things. It's like when Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, remember she found him and she, she said, oh, this Hebrew baby is my baby, but uh, his mother was allowed to wean him. Do you think that when he went home for that season of time before he returned to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter that she treated him any different than her his brother and sister no she didn't call him your majesty and uh, bow to his every whim because he had been adopted into the royal family no he needed to learn to obey to sit at the table and have good manners and not bite or hit his brother and sister just because he was now adopted into a royal family he was just like the other kids he was instructed in god and his ways this training, it was fitting at home, in society, whether he's in Pharaoh's court or in the desert. That's how he was raised. And in Roman culture, when a when a male child was born, it was, he was laid before the feet of the father. And the father had the choice whether he was going to go, nah, not interested, or pick him up. And if he picked up that child, he's saying, this is my son, this is my heir. I am going to raise this child. I'm going to train up this child. So it was very significant that you would pick up that baby and say, this is my son. You were owning it at that moment. And it was also the father's decision, not just who would be his heir, but when he became a citizen, when he was able to assume the duties of nobility. So under, until dad gave the word, that son was under the authority of the governess or the tutors until he said, you know what, you're grown up now. You are ready to to assume the responsibility as a Roman citizen. That's kind of interesting how the dad had the call in that culture on when he was ready. It was dad who made that choice. A, there was a coming of age ceremonies uh, called the liberalia. They removed that charm. They would wear a charm around their necks as babies to ward off evil and wear a particular outfit. But they would remove that during the ceremony and put on the toga virilis, which was the toga now that you were the heir and you were also a Roman citizen. It was a really special ceremony they would do around 15 or 16 years of age. Paul, he used this practice that they would have been familiar and said, this is what's happened for you when Christ came. You've gone from being under the law, under the governess, to now being chosen as an heir and a citizen of heaven you've you've grown up this is how you're to to live now not wearing the the clothes of your childhood or living the way you did as a child quite often they would take a ball or a toy like a girl would take a doll or a boy would take a ball or something and they would give it up to say like all right i'm moving on I'm gonna, now I'm part of society as an adult, and I'm gonna behave differently. In New South Wales, a child being adopted that's over 12, they can give their own consent. And I know it's the fallacy of personal experience, but I've never known a child who, 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 whose parents said, we want to adopt you. They said, I don't want. They, they've always, everyone that I know who's been adopted is really glad they were adopted. And as children of God, we have that choice. He, he like puts that before you. Do you want to be my child? And we get to say yes or no. We get to choose if we're going to receive Him by faith or not. Galatians four six. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. No paperwork, no monetary fee required to become an adopted child of God. Jesus has paid the price with his own blood. We receive that by his grace. There's evidence of that transaction, though, because God sends the Holy Spirit to fill us and to make us part of his family. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Life in Christ Jesus in Romans 8.2. And the spirit of Jesus Christ in Philippians 1.19. And that Holy Spirit is the same that's in the Trinity. The same spirit that came upon Jesus Christ. And he now lives within us. So it's more than just um, a desire for God or a longing for God that we have as children. There is a connection because we are now one Christ. We've been adopted as his own. He said, I claim you. I love you. I want you to be with me. I want to give you the same inheritance that I've given my own son. In John 14 and 16, there's ways uh, Jesus talks about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, how he guides us into all truth, that he convicts us of sin, of righteousness and judgment, how he gifts us and makes us fruitful and empowers us to do God's will. The Galatians were living like slaves. They had gone back instead of living like they were sons and daughters of God, his children. God had made them free, so they weren't to return to that bondage anymore. Do you see that, what they're heirs of? In verse 7, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God's like, you're going to be my inheritance, and you get to inherit me. Think of the uh, the prodigal son, how he said, I demand, the, I'm going to request the inheritance that's coming to me. And And for us, it's Jesus, it's God who is our inheritance. Not money, not anything that perishes. We get him, and he delights to have us. It's so great, isn't it, to be accepted by God. We receive him. He has accepted us. He has made us one with him. What grace. Can you imagine what it would be like to be born a slave to parents who were also slaves? So your parents were slaved. Your parents before them were enslaved. And now you're born into slavery. You're the property of someone else. And you're under their authority and rule. And they can do what they want. They can sell you. They can put you to work doing anything for a lifetime of service to this master totally at his mercy i really can't imagine what that would be like to be born into that the the things that you would want for yourself would be different or, or that you would want for your child because there's things that are just off the table um, voting home ownership education um, training in a trade all these things they, they weren't even there for you but, that God would free us from the bondage of sin because we were all born enslaved to sin with a heart that that was rebellious before God. And like we were nothing, we're slaves and God had compassion on us. He's shown mercy to choose us when we didn't deserve anything. Kings are very, uh, it's very important for them to have an heir to pass on the kingdom to their son, right? God already has a begotten son. He already has an heir he doesn't need more heirs but he's saying i want you because i love you i know you i fashioned you and i want you to be with me forever remembering that we're not worthy of this privilege we're not worthy of of god even knowing our name i mean think about a king would he know those slaves names would he hang around them and talk to them absolutely not maybe for a photo shoot hold the child, take the picture, and then move on. But God, he has become man, and he speaks to us. It should should fill us with such awe and appreciation that God has had compassion on us in our low state and redeemed us from the curse that we deserve. It's very heroic when a lifesaver risks their life to save someone from the rip, uh, it's it's heroic for a a volunteer member of the fire brigade to save someone from fire, risking their lives. Jesus laid down his life. He didn't just risk it. He gave it so that we could live with him. And I like what Guzik said. He said, we've received adoption as sons. We did not recover it. We have entered into a relation with God that even Adam did not have because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And our inheritance is more than working land or or having something temporal we are heirs of god and that is it's more than i can really take in but praise the lord it's true galatians 4 verse 8 but then indeed when you did not know god you serve those by which by nature are not gods but now after you have known god or rather are known by god How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored labored for you in vain. Many of these believers in Asia Minor, they had backgrounds steeped in idolatrous practices, pagan rituals. They wore those charms to ward off evil spirits. They had shrines in their houses. They would burn incense. Uh, they, they offered sacrifices to idols. They were entrenched in idolatry. And it was baffling to Paul, after they had known God, or more importantly, been known by God, God had revealed himself to them, not through their shrines or their, their offerings, but by grace through Jesus, that they would go back to bondage that couldn't save them, that couldn't make them righteous in the first place. Instead of growing in relationship with God through faith and obedience, they went back to regulations and rules as a measure of spirituality. Because we reap what we sow, they believed God would bless them when they did the right thing. And that if you did the wrong thing, well, you get what you deserve. And they equated blessing and fruitfulness with their good performance and obedience of the law. Like that's how you're blessed is by obeying this law. But what of the grace of God? What does that say about God's grace? Didn't God bring a nation of Israel out of Egypt and put them in a land flowing with milk and honey, with filled with enemies that he drove out, with vineyards they did not plant, and houses they did not build? Jesus said, Consider the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap nor do they gather into barns. Yet God feeds them. Are you not of greater value than they? We do reap what we sow, but we also reap where we have not sown. And that's by the grace of God. He gives us blessing beyond what we deserve, because that's grace. We're to relate to God as his children, not as slaves. Though Paul many times said, I am a bondservant of Jesus. I I have willingly become his slave. So you you realize he's the master, but he's also our father in heaven. Could you please turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 20? Paul confronted this tendency that we have to place ourselves under regulations which are nothing more than self-imposed restrictions and the knock-on effect of that is we tend to put that upon others that to measure up they need to do something and if they don't do that thing well then that's why they're struggling because they're not doing the right thing again dismissing the grace of god we place others under bondage. So Colossians 2, verse 20, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men? These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. When we're all about what we're not doing, things that we're going to restrict ourselves from, doesn't mean that we're loving God. doesn't mean that we're loving one another as he loves us. It's love that's to be governing us now, not just a regulation. Well, I guess I'm obligated to do that. That's by God's grace that we can do anything. God's love, it puts us on a higher plane than just eating or drinking or keeping a Sabbath. You know, keeping track of days. There were certain months of the year that the, traditionally the Hebrews would fast. They would fast during these months. They would afflict themselves. And it's interesting that at times God would say, Now is not the time for mourning. Rejoice. Give gifts. Celebrate. The Lord is your strength. The law, it gives regulations, but it has no value against the indulgence of the flesh because you can avoid eating that thing or drinking that thing, but you can indulge in a lot of other areas, right? It doesn't change your heart. God wants us to have new hearts. He's given us a new heart through Christ, through faith in him. And the law was incapable of addressing the pride, the judgment, the arrogance, and the division that conformity to the law nurtured in a sinner's heart because when we have that sinning mindset and that heart that's estranged from God and his grace pride puffs up we get inflated egos because of what we do or don't do and therefore look down upon others who don't measure up to our standard so Paul's saying hey guys I'm a bit concerned you're keeping track of all these days you're keeping these feasts thinking that you are more righteous in God's sight than those who don't. And you're imagining by keeping bits and pieces of the law that you're living more righteously before God, ignorant that you're returning to bondage that Jesus has saved you from. Because if you're going to keep one of the commands, as far as one of those 613 commands, as your absolute based upon the law then you have to keep everything it's an all or nothing thing as we're going to see we've entered into a new covenant through christ was it wrong to keep the sabbath according to the law no it was not wrong to keep the sabbath according to the law but they were deceived to think that they needed to keep the law to keep the sabbath to be right before god and their salvation depended upon it that's where they were wrong They sought to earn the blessings of God rather than believing and receiving what Christ had offered them by faith. So their focus had shifted from simple faith in God to earning his approval and seeking blessings by working. And that's something that we can fall into as well. Because we want the gift. We want the blessing. And if it involves a little bit of sacrifice to get that blessing, guess what? We're willing to sacrifice. People are willing to sacrifice a lot to get the results they want. You could talk about sport. You could talk about careers. You could talk about anything. People are willing to sacrifice everything to get what they want. And that just, that, that desire just doesn't flitter away when you come to Christ. It's, it's deep inside of all of us in that nature. Or we think, we think we're good, or we think we can, we deserve, or we're entitled, or we can earn. There's something we can do. (laughs) But God in His grace, He, He has given us Himself. Galatians 4 verse 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. Paul had been brought up in Jerusalem as a Pharisee. He attained great status by working at his Judaism. He shared a lot of common ground with these Gentiles, though they were brought up in these pagan and idolatrous cultures because they were both under bondage. Paul was in bondage to the law, and they were under bondage to idols, believing that by keeping the law or by uh, making sacrifices to idols that you would be blessed or protected or helped in some way. Paul became like the people of Asia Minor in that he was not forcing them to become a Jew or to keep Jewish traditions. He never insinuated or taught people that they needed to be like a Jew to be saved. He said, be like me in that you're keeping to the basic gospel that I gave you from the beginning. Paul had remained true to the gospel. He hadn't changed it. It was one gospel and he continued to preach the same thing. But they had veered off track. And so he's now reeling them in back to the fundamentals. And he says, I wish that you would respond to this letter the same way that you listened to me at the beginning. Because you've changed. You used to listen to me. In fact," The things that I said, you hung on every word. You were like a starving person coming to a feast. You were like a thirsty person just gulping down the water I could give you, that living water from above. You you were like, Paul is this guy. He's giving us insights we never knew. It says when he preached the good news at the beginning, he had a physical infirmity. Now, there's a lot of conjecture. There's no proof as to exactly which or what this infirmity was. What we can know, based upon what he's saying here, is that it was obvious, and that it was off-putting. There was something about how he was feeling, or his appearance, something about his infirmity, that would have been easy to reject him for. In in other places, it says that his, his presence was weak and contemptible. People who were criticizing his way of speaking. But he's like, "You guys weren't like that you know i had a I had a professor who uh who when he would speak he 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 would just drone on like he would put me to shame, probably, but he he would talk and as he talked he would he would have this spit that would collect on the corners of his mouth and then a piece in the middle that would go up and down, and I would just get so like oh like I would get a little grossed out, you know, seeing this the frothing like it was just not cool um <laughs> And so it's like, if you can imagine you're looking at somebody and they look pretty rough, that didn't matter, though. They were like, we got to hear what Paul's got to say. He has the words of life because it's the word of God that he's preaching to us. And he's saying, you guys, you didn't reject me. You didn't let that put you off from listening to me. You used to be compassionate and considerate of me. You've become so cold and detached. Your opinion of me is so poor there was one time where you would have given your eyes for me. If it would have helped me in some way, you would have sacrificed something that's precious to you just, just to help me out because you loved me so much. They would sacrifice their physical sight to benefit the one who imparted such spiritual sight. That's how you used to be towards me. But sadly, a lot had changed. And instead of regarding Paul as a wise brother, a dear friend, they viewed him as an enemy. Uh, Paul. You know, he was fine at the beginning, but they were put off. He continued to speak the truth, but their view of the truth and their view of him had changed, and they just dismissed everything he said. Isn't it funny how we can say something, and it can really impact people's view of us that day forward? It can. It can have an impact. The the Judaizers, they were zealously courting the believers. And he's saying, hey, they're courting you. They're pursuing you. They're showing a lot of interest in you. They're excluding you so that you'll work to please them because you respect them. And it's interesting that when you feel excluded, you're either going to kind of write off that person completely or you're going to try to work to gain their approval. And they were working to try to earn the approval of these Judaizers. And he's saying, I've got no problem with zeal. Zeal's a great thing, but it needs to be in the right way. You have to go after the right things. You're putting all your emphasis and all your efforts into trying to keep, keep the law that could never save you or make you righteous. I imagine many of you know what Paul was experiencing, that you have a relationship, and then there's these outside influences that are souring the relationship. There's something that's come in between, from the outside the gospel hadn't changed paul was still teaching the word of god but something happened over time that soured their view of him and rejected the message of of salvation that he offered that's why the scripture the holy spirit and godly fellowship really indispensable to reveal if we are the sour ones if we are the unloving ones, because you've seen it in others, right? You've seen people go a bit sour, get a bit anti. Well, guess what? I can become anti too. I can become bitter and sour. And so we need one another and we need the word of God. We need the Holy Spirit within us to show us you're the one who's bitter. You're the one who's not forgiving. You're the one who's holding a grudge. You're not walking in love. We need that from the Lord. We need his correction. In the Hobbit movie, Battle of the Five Armies, Thorin the King, he returns to his uh, Erebor. It was his kingdom, the kingdom under the mountain where a dragon had hoarded all this gold, uh, or he, it actually was watching over the gold. And as, as he's there and he returns to his kingdom, he was poisoned with, they call it dragon sickness. Right, this is this is not real. This is make believe if you hadn't picked that up yet. So he he had promised the people of Lake Town, hey, if you help us go back to Erebor and beat the dragon, we'll we'll give you a share of the gold. And people are like, All right, cool, gold. We could use gold right now. You know, they were um, oppressed at that city and they hadn't recovered from the dragon attack all those years before. So they were cool. Hey, give us a shot. Well, they ended up getting into Erebor and uh thorin changed once he had the goal he just put up a wall and he hid behind that wall and bilbo he confronts him and he says you are changed thorin the dwarf i met in bag would never have gone back on his word would never have doubted the loyalty of his kin and bilbo he was right but thorin At first, he refused to listen to that rebuke, and in true Hollywood fashion, he figured it out before the end, that he had done the wrong thing and was sorry about it. And every time we see someone change, not for the better, we need to realize that we can be the one who changes, not for the better, based upon what we are surrounding ourselves with, the influences that come in, and it begins to harden us towards the truth that we say we hold so so close to us. We all have the potential to be led astray by our own hearts, by ignorance, by suspicion. So let's heed the warning that we can be the one who negatively changes. We can be like the people of Galatia, who Paul was still solid. He was still right on, but they dismissed him. They wrote him off, but Paul did not write the Galatians off. See, there's the grace of God, huh? He could have said, you know what, you guys are... You guys are, you've lost the plot completely. You're a waste of time. I don't even know why I'm talking to you anymore. That's not Paul's attitude. He knew that God had not abandoned him in his legalistic days and he was going to work double to see them come out of that too. To get out of that lifestyle because they fell into that performance trap. Verse 19, my little children for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to present, be present with you now and to change my tone. For I have doubts about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who did not bear. Bear, Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Paul labored for the salvation of the Galatians once and he's willing to do it again. He's saying, "I am willing to to labor for you guys, to to break you, to 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 bring you out of that place of bondage." And he didn't have the benefit of meeting face to face with them. He used what he could. Um, writing was a practical means of communication, and it's very hard to convey a gentle and compassionate tone in writing, even if you use a lot of smiley faces. You know, you're like, every, after every sentence, smiley face, <laughs> smiley face, <laughs> trying to just say, I'm not like furious with you, I'm not angry, I don't want to be, you know, get the wrong because when you think you're, you're feeling a bit adversarial against someone and they send you something, it can be very plain and you read into it, right? Like, what does he mean by this? Or what does she mean? Um. So if there's something corrective that needs to be said, face-to-face is best. Don't Don't write it. Talk to them. Um it's so good to be able to maintain the intended tone in real time and and if there's questions or concerns those can be addressed in a loving and compassionate way but if you write this whole manifesto and they read it it's not very useful it doesn't convey it but this is the way he has to write it so he's like guys I want to change my tone I, I I'm really concerned it's it's the love of a father for a child that I have towards you right now I'm not I'm not angry because I've been slighted. I'm just, how can I convey the depth of my feelings for you? He says, I have serious doubts because the way that you're living now, it's resembling a lot of the way you used to live before Jesus, except you've substituted the law instead of your idolatry. You've departed from faith in Christ and you've moved on, actually regressed back to legalism. Just like people can be addicted and in bondage to drink or drugs, Paul had been in bondage to law. And I think once you've been down that road yourself, you can pick it out pretty easily in someone else who's struggling in that area. You're like, all the symptoms are there. The denial, the dependency, the hiding it, the explaining it away, it didn't trick him. Like he picked up on it really easily. He says, a lot of unhealthy symptoms in you that I've seen in myself. That's the way that I'm coming. And he says, you want you want to be under the law? Don't you hear what it's saying? Have you read those curses? And he follows up with this Old Testament picture as an allegory. It's a true story. It provided symbolism to help to see that the law, the covenant of law that God gave Moses, and the covenant in Christ's blood are two different and separate things. They cannot cohabitate together. Abraham was married to Sarah. God provided them, he promised them a son. Sarah was barren. She couldn't have a child. So they had this maid, Hagar, who she offered to her husband as a surrogate. So she gave birth to Ishmael. Later, God confirmed. He says, I'm still going to keep my word. You will have a son in your old age when she's been barren and you're dead. Like you you are impotent. You're not able to have a child, but you will. Abraham believed God and God gave him Isaac. So he had two sons, one born of a slave and the other of a free woman. And Paul equated the slave Hagar bringing forth her son into bondage like the law that God gave on Sinai that the people in Jerusalem were laboring under, the bondage of the law. But those who receive the promise of God through faith are of new Jerusalem. That's the city that Abraham was looking for, the city not made with hands. That's in heaven that he's going to live in someday. So those under the covenant of law were born into bondage. Those who are born again through faith in Jesus are totally free, completely free. Born as children of God and heirs with Christ. Your mother matters. And that, he says, you're of heaven now. You're of that heavenly kingdom, a place where God dwells. And then he quotes Isaiah fifty-four, one through 3. It says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. There's many times that God compares the nation of Israel to his bride. Sarah was a married woman who gave birth to Isaac. And Israel, the nation, gave birth to the Messiah. Jesus came through the Jews. The Gentiles, though, they were barren. They they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. No husband, no fruitfulness in the things of God. But God says, you who are barren, rejoice. You who have had no children, celebrate. You've never brought children into the world. However, there's more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. So he's saying there's going to be more people who come to faith of the Gentiles, of those nations who were totally apart from God, than even the married woman, which is awesome. There are Gentile descendants who've been adopted into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. Again, God reaps where he has not sown. Miraculous how he does this. He makes fruitful those who were once barren and desolate. Because we can feel barren and desolate, even when you have kids. You can feel like, well, I don't seem to be very productive or fruitful. I seem a bit, you know, alone, whether figuratively or really, you feel that way. But know that God's the one who makes us fruitful. And you don't have to have a husband or a wife to be fruitful, because God is able to do miraculously. God has drawn near to us. We were cut off from God. He's redeemed us from the curse and given us the blessing of Abraham through faith in Jesus. So we're free, children of the free, heirs of God, free to praise and bless God forever. And that is amazing that we are one in Christ. If you are born again, we have a closer connection being a brother and sister in Christ than I do with the two right here in the front row, through genetics, closer, because it's an eternal bond. When I had my vows with Laura, it's till death do we part. At some point, we will part. And that's not going to live home forever, even though he might want to. (laughs) That's going to end someday. But the reality is, we're all going to go the way of the earth. Those bonds will be broken. There will be a a disconnect. There will be a time where we want to talk to each other and, and there's no email that you can send and there's no text that you can give and there's no face to face you can have because that person's gone. That's the reality. But through Christ, we have an eternal connection and a bond that cannot be broken. Fellowship with God and each other forever. And I praise the Lord that, that He has made that possible through Jesus because he couldn't earn that. Couldn't work for it. Can't preserve it. Galatians 4, 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, we are children of promise, but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Those who are born again through Christ, faith in him, were like Isaac, being children of promise, whether Jew or Gentile. We are children of the promise of Abraham. And Paul goes back to a story in Genesis to show how those two weren't getting along very well. Ishmael was born first of the slave, but then, you know, when Isaac came along, that all changed. He was no longer, because Isaac is the heir, and there was a celebration in honor of Isaac being weaned, and they're having this party, Uh, that's a, I guess, a cool thing to celebrate, I never really thought about it before, Um, you you have baby showers, but not a weaning shower, maybe it wouldn't be a shower, it'd just be a weaning thing. That you do. Any excuse to barbecue sounds great. Both men and women can get in line for that one. Genesis 2, 9 and 10, it describes the scene, what happened at this little event. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. So they're having the celebration and he's making fun of of the heir. Ishmael's making fun of Isaac. And she's like, no, this is not how it's going to be. They need to go. They they are not connected to the inheritance. They are not the ones. It's incompatible to be raising our son with Ishmael present. So cast them out. Abraham at first, he was not jumping at it. He, He loved his son." He wanted him to stay, but God spoke to him at night and said, no, listen to your wife. You need to send them on your way, on their way. I'm going to make of him a great nation, but your son Isaac is the heir. He's the one. So he had to choose. He couldn't have both of them. He had to send one on its way and the other he had to decide to, to raise as the heir. And he chose the right one, the one of promise, not of the efforts of his flesh. So it, that had to go. He had to go. And God protected him. And Paul says, as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, you know, the big brother picking on the little brother, so those of the law are going to pick on those who are sons and daughters of the free. They will persecute you. They will exclude you. They'll try to hurt you. It's interesting how those who are in bondage, they're, they're happy for other people to enter in with them. It makes them feel very uncomfortable if you're not doing what they're doing. When we follow along, it confirms that their way is a good way and the right way, and plays to their pride and the exclusion of others. And it's interesting, even from, like when I was a kid with my brother and my cousin, we made a, a I don't want to say a game because we didn't, we were just cousins hanging out, but we had our little secret group. We had a little, you know, signature or a seal that we'd put on secret documents, like the girls are in the other room. Draw a map, show where they are, what our plans were seal it and sign it you know like, okay it's all really secret and special there's something in us that enjoys exclusivity when we're on the inside if we're on the inside it's pretty cool we hate being on the outside of it though we want to get in but then when we get in we realize oh, it was kind of lame <laughs> part of the fun is not just being in but keeping others out that aren't worthy Joshua told the people in his final address, he says, Choose this day whom you will serve, either the idols your father served or the Lord only. So we have a choice. Who will we serve? Are we going to go back to the law and adopt that as our governance, that we're going to be guided by rules and regulations about what we do and don't do? It's going to be by the letter or are going to be led by the Spirit and walk in love and faith, trusting God and following his leading. Not to cover up, not to use that grace as an excuse to sin or to indulge the flesh. Every, I can do everything. Well, yeah, but it's not all good for you. It's not good for others either. What about them? Because you're to see others as more important than yourself. It's a totally different mindset. Like, I, I am entitled to do this. Are you? What does love say? Love for them, not yourself. Love for God and love for them. So will we, will we serve God, others, or ourselves? Will we choose to return to bondage and put others under that yoke? Or are we going to live by faith in Jesus Christ? Are we going to live as slaves or redeemed sons who are heirs of God? So friends, are you living in bondage to the law or as free under the covenant of law or by grace. If you've been made free, walk in freedom. Freedom to bless God, to praise Him, to serve Him. Not to indulge the flesh, but to love Him and others. Because God, it's just like that picture that that Paul said. You know, you've put off those garments of your youth. You've now been clothed with the robes of righteousness by grace through faith. The, The time of the law to be governing us as past because we're now governed by the leading of the Holy Spirit who fills us, who causes us to love God. We are the children of promise and if we're Christ and the Spirit of Christ lives in us and we'll begin to resemble him because it's no longer we who live but Christ in us. It's the power of God's love and not the law that causes us to walk in the right way. And when we go the wrong way, the Holy Spirit will convict us and he'll show us what we're to do. So let's stay in that place of repentance and obedience to God, trusting him that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Thank the Lord. Father, thank you for giving us your word and giving us such exceedingly great and precious promises through Jesus by faith. I pray, Lord, you would increase our faith. Too often, I have not trusted you as I ought. I was much more comfortable with just setting up rules or, or regulations rather than, than trusting you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk as those free children of promise that you have filled with your Spirit that we would not uh, write each other off, that we would not cause division, but there would be agreement between our hearts and yours, filled with humility and meekness, compassion, grace, walking in righteousness, Lord. Thank you so much for our family in Christ here, and for the body of Christ that's uh, across the whole globe. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much, that you are faithful and true, and cause us to truly adore you, Lord, now and always, in Jesus' name. Amen.